We're going to be starting a new series this morning that I'm really, really excited about. I'm ready to jump into it. And it's on the names of God. All right, we're going to be looking at the different Jehovah's in the Old Testament and what they mean. Okay, because I think a lot of times we, I don't, fail's not the right word, but we don't, we don't give our prayers all that they are. Not because we don't want to, because we don't even give it enough time or our heart's not in it. It's because we don't fully understand who we are praying to. We don't understand who God really is. And the Bible is full of all sorts of wonderful, awesome descriptions of our God. And I believe as we start to know him more and we start to understand these names that God has given himself, then our prayer time is going to change. All right, we're going to approach God in our prayer life in a different way because we have a new revelation of who he is. And so over these next few weeks, that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be looking at the different Jehovah's of the Old Testament. And today we're going to be starting off with a bang, okay? We're going to be starting off with Jehovah Sabaoth. And I'm only going to say that once because I'm going to mess it up if I say it again. But that means the Lord of hosts. All right, and the word Jehovah means Lord. And it's, it's, it's in the Old Testament all over the place. And Jehovah is a very reverent, it's a very honoring name, the Lord. It's a big name. But on top of that are these other descriptions. There's the Lord, but then there's the Lord of what? Okay? And so today, we're looking at the Lord of hosts. And this phrase alone, just this one, occurs in the Old Testament 261 different times. That's a lot, okay? And in this, this phrase, Lord of hosts, it means the Lord of angel armies or the Lord of mighty armies, okay? This is an awesome, it's an awesome title that God has given himself, all right? It's very cool. And what's happened here as, as this word, as this title of the Lord of hosts is introduced in the Bible, it first takes place in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And what is happening here with the Israelites are they are transitioning out of having judges. They had judges ruling over their people for a period of time. And what they did is they looked around at all the other nations, all the other people groups, and said, hey, God, they have a king. We don't have a king. We would like a king, which we could go into a whole sermon just in and of itself right there, all right, about comparisons and traps and all those things. We're not going to do that today. But God says, okay, well, you want these, you want this king? Well, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be, your young ones are going to go into the military. They're going to tax you. They're going to take all this stuff. That's okay. We want a king. Okay, and, and as, as that, that is starting to transition, before that even happens, God calls himself the Lord of hosts. Okay, and I think the timing here, this is just my thoughts. This is just what I'm reading into it. But I think the timing here is very interesting. All right, and this is, this is how I see it. I think God is hearing the Israelites asking for a king, saying, okay, I'm going to give you an earthly king, but I want to remind you of something. I am the Lord of hosts. I am the Lord of angel armies. So you can have your little king, but put your hope in me, all right? Put your hope in me because I am the Lord of angel armies. I am the Lord of mighty armies. And we need to remember that because a lot of times we're like the Israelites. We look over here and say, God, I want that. I want He's saying, hello, hello, I'm the Lord of hosts. So put your hope in me. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at two different stories in 1 Samuel, both which include the Lord of hosts, all right? That name is in these two stories, and the stories could not be more different if they tried. And the first one that we're going to talk about very much fits this Lord of hosts mold, right? It's it very easily like, yeah, I get this, because there's a battle going on. And what the story is, is a story of David and Goliath. And we have the Philistine army pitted against the Israel army, okay? 
And so this Lord of hosts, this, this idea of God being the Lord of angel armies very much fits into this narrative that we're going to talk about this morning. But what I want to look at when we're, when we're discussing the story of David and Goliath is not a boy versus a giant. I want to look at it as us being like David and Goliath being like the enemy, being like Satan, and how we can approach the enemy in our prayer life, okay? Because this is one of those rah-rah stories that we can get all excited about in church, but then we go out the door and we kind of just go about our lives. But this, is, this story to me is about prayer, okay? Because the story of David and Goliath is a story of this, this young little kid, this youth, who goes, goes up against this warrior giant, awesome dude who's just killed people left and right for the Philistine army. Like he's a bad mamma jamma, okay? And he's huge. He is a giant. And this story is not, to me, first about David's bravery. It is about his knowledge. It is about his understanding of who God is. See, it is in our understanding and our knowledge of God that makes us brave. Okay, it's not the other way around. And I really wonder, and I, I actually, I almost uh, get scared at the thought of how many stories weren't written about us because we didn't understand God in certain moments in our life that stopped us from being brave. But David, we're talking about this story this morning of David and Goliath because he understood and he had the knowledge of who God was. So let's read in 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting in verse 40. It says, Then he, talking about David, took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine, that's Goliath. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him, him being Goliath. Okay, so this story is always talked about being like a crazy fight because we have a giant versus uh, David, all right? This little young guy versus this giant. And everyone looks at that and says, well, this isn't a fair fight. Because we have this warrior who's been in the army for a long time. And we have this shepherd boy. These two don't match up. But truthfully, it's not a fair fight because it is two on one. It's two verse one. Y'all ever realize that? Goliath actually has a shield bearer going before him in this fight. It is two verse one. So let me ask you this. How many times have you felt outnumbered by the enemy? How many times have you felt like you've been getting attacked left and right in all directions and it's coming from a multitude of different things? And you're saying, it's just me here and the enemy's coming me with all different sorts of things. I feel outnumbered. It's true. The devil wants us to feel outnumbered, but check this out. We serve the Lord of hosts with an S on the end, okay? Plural. The Lord of hosts, armies, angels, a multitude, many, whatever you want to say. Think of another word for it. When we understand that we serve the Lord of hosts, we will then know that we are never outnumbered. We are never outnumbered when we understand that we serve the Lord of hosts, because it's plural, it's not singular. There is a multitude, armies of angels that have our back. It's funny because Goliath in all of his confidence, which we'll see here in a second, still has this shield bearer with him. Only think about that for a second. 
Goliath is the enemy. He's about to talk a bunch of trash to David, and yet he still has a shield bearer. We'll get back to that in a second. Let's keep reading. Verse 42. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. For he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. So the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. So in all of his bravado, Goliath still has this shield bearer with him. I mean, if he was really that sure that he was going to defeat David, don't you think he said, hey, go take five. As a matter of fact, take my shield. I'm just going to go barehanded with this fool. The devil likes to have a bunch of bravado and confidence and look like that, but the truth is he's a coward. He's a coward. And if Goliath had really believed any of that, he wouldn't have needed his shield bearer. He wouldn't have needed all this stuff. He would have just gone at David and beat him. But he didn't. And check this out. I love, the, I love what it says here about Goliath. When he, he, it says that when he looked about, he's actually looking for David in this moment. He's trying to find him. That's how small David is in his eyes. But then once he finds David, he looks at him and he sees him and he disdains him. Why? Because when he sees David, he sees someone who is confident too. And he's not afraid of Goliath. And let me say this to you all really quick. When we understand who God is in our lives, that he is the Lord of hosts, the devil hates us. Why? Because he can't do anything to us. He's lost power. And in, in the devil's mind, he's going, why is this little kid coming at me? I have all this power. I reign in hell. All of darkness is mine. And this person is going to come against me? And he hates us because we take the power from him. And we need to know that. He disdains us because all it does is remind him that he lost. Okay? He lost. And so when Goliath looks at David in disdain, that's exactly how the enemy looks at us. When we go to him, understanding that the Lord of hosts has our back. When we go to him confident, he disdains us because every single one of us reminds him of his failure and his inadequacies and his loss. So we need to know that. Okay, let's keep reading. So he says all this stuff. I'm going to feed you to the birds of the air and all that good stuff. And then David returns in kind. I love this. I love, you know, gosh, I wish we would talk to the devil the way he talks to us sometimes, you know. David does. Verse 45, it says, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. All right, let's just stop right there. He's listing the thing, the weapons that Goliath has. Sword, spear, javelin. Translation, child's play, bro. Child's play. Might as well be a Nerf gun. All right? Super soaker. Because those are nothing. Those are nothing. But David has a slingshot. But he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I come to you with a slingshot. He says this. You come to me with a, with a spear, with a sword, with a javelin, but, here it is, y'all. 
I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord, not me, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. Come on. He's telling me, I'm going to cut off your head, bro. I'm cutting off your head. Okay? That's what he says to him. But not with a slingshot, with the Lord of hosts. The slingshot is just the means that it's going to happen. But he's conquering him through the Lord of hosts. And I'm going to cut off your head. I think that's awesome. And this day, I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all his assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So Goliath tells David, I'm going to kill you, and I'm going to feed you to the birds of the air. David says, no, 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 no. I come with the Lord of hosts, so not only am I going to cut off your head, but to see that whole army behind you, all those Philistines, I'm going to kill all them, and their carcasses are going to be eaten by the birds. So not just one, but a whole army. David understands who the Lord of hosts is. He understands that he's got the God of angel armies on his back. It is an understanding of God that leads to bravery. If we could just be like that in our prayer time and not cower, but bring the fight to the Lord and not use a slingshot in our prayer time, but use the Lord of hosts in our prayer time. Okay, y'all got to bear with me for a second here because I got to nerd out for a second, okay? Because every single, and I know this is cliche and I get all that, but I'm going to do it anyway. I rarely do this. But every time I read this story, I think of this one scene. And to me, it's the perfect illustration of, of going into battle with the Lord of hosts. So for the next 50 or so seconds, just bear with me as we watch this clip. Go ahead, Robert. As usual, violent scum. There's not work here needs doing. Come on, you sea rats! Get off your ships! The strength for the both of us may the best storm win. All right. I uh, talked about this, one of those clips to my 10th grade Bible class last year. Say, hey, have y'all seen the two towers when blah, 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 blah? And they looked at me with blank faces. And I, I sent them all to detention. Like, y'all, are, y'all are too young, making me feel old, never seeing any of the Lord of the Rings movies. But I love that illustration because what we have here is an entire army against three. But the three that come off the ship, they don't look scared at all, right? It's, it's the enemy that looks scared. And they look scared, if you notice, before the army shows up. Why? Because they look at these three dudes 
and they see confidence in their eyes. They see him not backing down. And as soon as that army shows up, the enemy starts tripping over himself, over itself. That's, that's it. And then what happens? The army comes and it goes before the three of them. It goes before them into the city, into the city to fight. And that is how we need to approach things with, with the Lord and against the enemy. Listen, the second that we step on, onto that battlefield, knowing that the Lord of hosts is behind us, the enemy starts tripping over himself and scared. What a great illustration. I love that. Okay, so that's the first story we're looking at this morning. Here's the second story. This takes place in 1 Samuel as well, and it's totally different. And, you know, we can, I love the story of David and Goliath, and we could, we could do a whole, you know, sermon on that alone. And it's awesome, and it pumps you up, but if I'm being honest, I relate a lot more to this next story than I do Goliath, I mean, with David and Goliath. I wish I related more to David. But this is, this is where I find myself more these days. And it's 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. And this is where the phrase, Lord of the hosts, first is seen in the entire Bible. It says, Now there was a certain man of Remethane Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jerohom, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord, she, prov she provoked her, meaning the other wife. Therefore, Hannah wept and did not eat. So here we find Hannah miserable. She's miserable. She has no children. The other wife has multiple children and she feels alone. Yes, she's loved by her husband, but it's not enough. And she's completely miserable to the point where she just stops eating. She goes up to the house of the Lord and she prays and she doesn't eat. It is a picture of complete misery. It's not a scene on a battlefield. It's not, gonna, it's not something you're going to see a lot in a movie that's going to get you all fired up. It's just a woman who is desperate. It continues in verse 9. So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul. I'm going to say that again. And she was in bitterness of soul, and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, here it is, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. What an interesting title to give God in her prayer right here. She's, what does it say? She she's, has bitterness of soul, and she wept in her anguish. This paints a pretty vivid picture of how Hannah feels at this moment. Completely de dejected, alone, that she hasn't been heard. 
And how she addresses God here is Lord of hosts. Why would she do that there? Why not something else? God of healer, you know, Lord of, I don't know, what feeling of peace or understanding or comfort. There's so many different things that she could address the Lord as in this moment of despair and of misery, and she chooses Lord of hosts. And I believe the reason that she does that is because she is so much at her end that she calls on the Lord of hosts to do her fighting for her. She's a place in her life where she's got nothing left. And we're going to see that in a second, what that really means. But she's got nothing left. And so she says, God, Lord of angel armies, fight for me. But I think we're limiting that title, Lord of hosts, when we only attribute it to fighting. Because the Lord of hosts, with all his angels, that whole army of angels, it's not just about fighting. I believe it's about comforting as well and ministering as well. So she's saying, God, I need you and I need all of you. Send your angel armies to fight for me in my weakness and in my despair. Send your angel armies to comfort me when I feel alone, when I feel forgotten, when my rival is after me. In verse 12, it goes on, it says, And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli, is the priest, watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, and only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I have spoken until now. So Eli, this priest, sees her, and she is so at her end. And, and this is, again, this is just get in my brain for a second. I, I picture it something like she's on the step. If, if this was a temple and she's inside praying, she's on the steps right here. And she's just laying there with no more energy, she hasn't eaten, and she is in complete misery and despair. And she's prayed so much that she's to the point where she literally can't speak anymore. And she's, she's praying in her heart, and her mouth is moving, but nothing's coming out. I mean, can you picture that for a second? Just laying there. And it's no wonder that Eli thought she was drunk. She's, she's just laying there, you know? And he says, stop drinking all that stuff. And she says, no, I haven't, I haven't been pouring out wine into a glass and been drinking that. I've been pouring out my soul. That is what is getting, getting poured out. And that is why I am here. And listen, listen, church. Until we pour out our soul to the Lord, it stays in us. That despair, that anguish, that affliction that we see with Hannah, that stays in our heart. Okay, elephant in the room, it's, it's raining really loud out. Okay, we, we all hear it, let's just move on, okay? But until we pour all that out and give it to the Lord, it's going to be in us. It's going to be there. And my, my heart has been so much for this, these 21 days, this prayer and this fast, as we get to that place, we're just like, God, I'm letting it all go. I've been saying it, but, but not all the way. 
I've been giving you 75%, 80%, but I'm not pouring everything out of me to the point where it's all gone. And that's what this is about, y'all. That's what these 21 days are about, about getting it all out of us and being like Hannah in this moment saying, Lord of hosts, Lord of hosts. I'm, I'm bitter of spirit and soul. I'm despondent. I'm, I'm in despair. I'm in anguish. I feel forgotten. Trust me, that's what God wants because then and only then can he say, thank you, I'm going to take that from you. Because you've now poured it all out. There's nothing left in. But if we leave even a drop of that in, it's just going to keep going. Manifest itself more and more. And so rather than pour a drink for ourselves, or pour something else for ourselves to self-medicate, let's pour out our spirit in our soul to the Lord. And even if it looks like Hannah, where we're laying on the ground, and our, our lips are moving, but nothing's coming out. Keep that prayer going in your heart. Let's get real with the Lord. These next two weeks, trust me, He can take it. It's not about how brave we are. Most of the times, it's about how desperate we are. And that's what drives our prayer time. Are you desperate enough to give God everything? I'm going to have the band come up. I'm going to finish with this verse out of Psalms 24, starting in verse 7. It says, Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up, you everlasting doors. And the king of glory shall come in. Verse 10. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. The message version says it like this in verse 7. I want to read this. It says, wake up, you sleepyhead city. Wake up, you sleepyhead people. King glory is ready to enter. Who is this king of glory? God, armed and ready for battle. Wake up. That's what God's calling us to, to wake up. Wake up. That phrase, the Lord strong and mighty, can be translated to a warrior. A warrior. The Lord is a warrior. All right, so check this out. When I was a kid, I watched cartoons here and there, but what I was really into was wrestling. All right? Wrestling is what I gave my Saturday mornings to to the point where I was 17 years old with a buddy of mine, camped out of a Veterans Memorial Arena for Monday Nitro tickets at one o'clock in the morning to get them. That was before like all online. I loved me some wrestling. And my favorite wrestler was the Ultimate Warrior. I had a, y'all remember my buddies? I had a my buddy Ultimate Warrior and I'd wrestle, you know, top suplex him like crazy all day long. Love me wrestling. And the coolest thing about the Ultimate Warrior, and, and really in wrestling in general that you need to understand, it's all about the intro music, all right? You can be the coolest wrestler in the world, and if your music is lame, you're done. Get out of here. No one cares. But if you have cool intro music, that's all it takes. And there's some cool intro music. I'm not going to go into a list. I'm going to go full nerd on y'all this morning. 
But the Ultimate Warriors music was awesome. It was metal. And as soon as it started, the place, the arenas would just go insane. Ah, yeah, he's coming. Ultimate Warriors on his way. And most of the wrestlers, you know, when the music's played, they'd come out and they'd just kind of soak up the, the accolades from the crowd. You know, they'd make their stroll down the aisle. I'm this bad dude, you know, it's real slow and high five people. If they were a bad guy, they'd just mean mug it the whole way down the aisle. Not the Ultimate Warrior. That music would start. And you knew he was coming. And the second he came out of that curtain, it was 100 miles an hour down the aisle. And he'd jump up on the ring and he'd shake the, the ropes and he'd get up on the turnbuckles. Ah, and then he'd start fighting the dude before the, the bell even rang. I mean, it was 100% go. The ultimate warrior. Jesus is our ultimate warrior. And his intro music is trumpet sounding. And the sound of his army behind him. And let me tell you, just like the ultimate warrior in professional wrestling, Jesus comes full sprint into the fight. Whether we're on the battle facing a giant or we're on the steps at the altar, hardly able to talk. Hardly able to talk. When we open up the gates of our heart, when we open up the doors of our heart, when we wake up sleepyhead people and let Jesus come in, he is pleased to come in and he is pleased to fight for us. Whether we're feeling brave or whether we're feeling broken. That is our Lord of hosts. And it says in that verse, who, who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. Why does God have the glory? Because he is the Lord of hosts. Because he has victory. You know who doesn't get the glory? Losers. Losers don't get the glory. Last year in the Super Bowl, it was the 49ers versus the Chiefs. The Chiefs won. They won the Super Bowl. They go back to Kansas City. Kansas City threw them a big old parade up and down the street with hundreds of thousands of people out. Big celebration. You know what wasn't happening in San Francisco? A parade. Why? Because the loser doesn't get the glory. And here's the most ironic thing in the entire Bible. The devil, the enemy, thought he got the glory when he had Jesus killed. And he said, the glory is now mine. I've killed the Lord of hosts. And now I reign. Now I reign. You know what God was saying to him? Child's play, bro. You think death is going to stop me? Might as well have come with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. Because that's not going to stop me. I am the king of glory. I get the glory. Because I am the Lord of hosts. So Jesus rose from the dead so that we can all say, God, here is the door to my heart and is wide open. Come in, King of glory. Come in, Lord of hosts. I'm broken. I'm in despair. Or I see the enemy before me and I'm going to fight. Not with my slingshot, not with what I bring to the fight, but because you are with me. And as I take that step of bravery, I know the Lord of hosts is going to come from behind and then go before me in battle. Open up the gates. Wake up, sleepyhead people. God wants to come in to our hearts and he wants it all. He wants every bit of it. The broken parts, the parts where we feel ashamed, the parts where we feel guilty, the parts where we feel like we don't measure up, like I shouldn't come to church because I didn't read the Bible this week, or maybe because I don't know any of those songs they sing. 
Come in, come in, open the door. He wants to come in, the Lord of hosts, because he loves you and he wants to fight for us. Let's stand up. This week, as you go about your fast, as you wake up in the morning, you're, you're with your spouse at night, whatever time you're taking with the Lord, remember these times. It is our understanding of who God is that allows us to be brave. But let's be brave. Let's not shrink God down. Let's shrink the enemy down to size and understand that the Lord of hosts has our back. And if you've never opened up your door, the door of your heart to Jesus, let his glory come into your heart and into your life. Do that right now. The devil thought he had it figured out by killing Jesus. God said, that's my plan all along. When Jesus was raised from the dead, so now my glory can enter into your heart and you don't have to fight anymore. You don't have to worry about being broken or feeling like a failure. I've got it. You just let me fight for you. You just let me handle it because I love you. And if that's you this morning, all you have to do is say, Jesus, I believe. My doors to my heart are open. Come on in. Father, we love you. We thank you, Jesus, that you fight for us, Lord. So fight for us, God. Forgive us when we've brought a slingshot to a gunfight. Lord, you fight for us. No longer do we say, I come, but that the Lord comes. The Lord comes. The Lord of hosts. Plural. Mighty. Warrior. King of glory. And God, we know that as we take these steps in our prayer life, that you're going to be glorified in Jesus' name. You are going to get the glory because you're the king of glory. Teach us, God, in these times how to pour out our soul to you. Show us what that means, God. God, if that's our desire, teach us to be brave enough to pour out our heart to you. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Thank you.